Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in today for Mina Kim. And for the rest of this hour, we're going to be talking about the steady rise of COVID-19 cases yet again in California state prisons. More than 3,600 active cases were reported as of Sunday. Positive cases among prison staff are also surging as some staff are not using the protective equipment that's required. The Department of Corrections acknowledges the virus is being brought into the prisons by guards who are infected with the virus. And joining us now, someone who's been covering this for the LA Times, reporter Anita Chabrier. Welcome and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Let me begin just by asking you, you know, how does this latest outbreak uh, that we just discussed, uh, that I just mentioned, how does it compare with what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic just a few months ago? Well, I think what we saw, especially around San Quentin, was much more deadly than this is at this particular moment in time. But I think the concern is is that we're heading in that direction. Uh, there's three deaths at the largest breakout at the substance abuse facility um, in in the in the inland area in the Central Valley right now, and with little sign that they're getting the outbreak under control. And so we're seeing almost all of the prisons across the state have COVID inside them. Uh, and heading in the wrong direction. I seem to remember that that initial outbreak at San Quentin back in whatever it was, April, May, was a result of a large number of inmates from, I think it was the the men's facility in Chino, who were not tested before they were transferred to San Quentin. Um, And that's what initiated the spread there. Is there a different dynamic going on here? It sounds from your reporting, what I've read, that it seems to be more widespread. It isn't, you can't really isolate it to a particular incident. Well, you're exactly right. That first outbreak in San Quentin did come from a transfer of inmates that weren't tested. Uh, somebody had it, and it spread very quickly, especially in San Quentin, because it's very it's a very old prison with the open cell, the bars on the doors, so air travels all over the place. This time around, we're really seeing staff bring it inside facilities, so not just guards, but other staff like nurses and support staff of all kind. Um, and so it, it isn't as simple to get under control because, of course, there's prison all over the state and staff going into them every day. I want to open up the phone lines because this is just a 20-minute segment. Uh, We'd love to hear from you if you uh, work in one of these facilities or maybe you've been recently released uh, or if you, uh, you know, have a family member who works there. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. It's 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or if you prefer, you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. And Anita, um, the the issue of staff. I mean, who who's in charge here? I mean, isn't uh, somebody uh, accountable? I mean, are these uh, regulations for PPEs and so on? Are they just not being enforced? I think that for the first couple months, at least of this, and up until maybe recently, there have been questions from legislators and advocates about how well these things were being enforced. And what we did find out at the recent oversight hearing in the California state legislature was that there is more enforcement now. CDCR is taking it very seriously, but there are still some staff and and guards that are resistant to perhaps wearing 
masks or uh, efficient masks. Um, they're now all being asked to wear surgical masks. That's new that the that CDCR is providing. But there's been resistance and there has been perhaps uh, what some consider a slowness to enforce. Uh, joining us now, uh, we've got a call out to uh, State Senator Mike McGuire. Uh, he represents a, a huge district, the District 2, that goes all the way up to the Oregon border. He's from Sonoma County. Uh, Senator McGuire also is a member of a Senate Special Committee on Pandemic Emergency Response, which held an oversight hearing on COVID-19 in California prisons just a couple of weeks ago. Senator McGuire, thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Scott. So uh, I went back and watched some of that hearing that you participated in on November 19th. What troubled you most in what you heard from uh, officials at CDCR and elsewhere? That we're eight months into this global pandemic and CDCR cannot get their act together, being very candid about this. From the beginning, the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has bungled the response to the COVID crisis. A few points of this. Uh, they continue to transfer uh, prisoners from one facility to another, knowing uh, that these prisoners could very well be positive. Two, uh, they never invested the resources that they needed to be able to contain the virus in the facilities. Three, there's been a lack of collaboration and coordination with hospitals, local department, uh, public health at the county level. Uh, there have been inadequate policies in place with PPE. There's been inadequate enforcement uh, when it comes to PPE. And I'm going to get into the example of San Quentin. It literally took members of the legislature to be able to convene a crisis team with CDCR, the State Office of Emergency Services, the San Francisco Department of Public Health, the Marin County Department of Public Health, to be able to get an on-site medical facility developed inside the walls of St. Quentin to be able to develop a surge plan. So San Francisco, Marin County hospitals were inundated with sick prisoners and to be able to embed a crisis response team with members of local uh, Department of Public Health um, inside of the San Quentin facility. And the reason why I'm so concerned now is our sites now are in Pelican Bay in the rural North Coast. Uh, which is a uh, maximum maximum security prison in Delmore County. Delmore County has 27,000 folks in the entire county. There is one hospital per post. And according to the Delmore County Department of Public Health, there has been evidence that the mandatory testing that's supposed to be enforced with uh, prison uh, employees have not been enforced. Yeah. We know that there are still prisoners Ducking is mandated test. There's been, uh, they haven't been sharing uh, the adequate information when it comes to the tests of the employees. They've been sharing the positive results. Well, and Senator, let me. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me just ask you, how much of this do you think, I mean, when you say that uh, staff are, you know, just not willing to wear PPEs and there's not, not enough testing, I mean, how much of this is part of the, the culture, do you think, in the individual prisons, I mean, a lot of these, you know, facilities are in more rural areas and, you know, not to oversimplify it, but, you know, a lot of the more conservative parts of California and the country are just resistant to wearing masks. I mean, is that what's going on here in part, or is it a lack of leadership at CDCR or, you know, a combination of several things? I would say it's a combination. Let's just be honest about this. I think this pandemic has been unfortunately politicized and lives have been lost because of the politicized. We're not making on science. 
Um, and so, sure, I think some of that. But I, I think um, direction needs to start at the top. Again, Senators, um, Senator, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have a really bad connection with you, and I'm not sure if you're uh, traveling in a car on a cell phone, but I think we have to let you go just because it's so hard to hear what you have to say, I'm, and I'm really sorry about that, but uh, just for the sake of our listeners, um, I just want to thank you for joining us, but uh, just hard to, hard to listen with that connection, so thanks uh, thanks for trying. Anyway, we appreciate that. Let's go to the phones now, and uh, Anna in Vallejo, welcome. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, in hearing all of this about um, a, a second resurgence uh, or a, a, a resurgence of COVID in the California prisons, it uh, especially hits home for me. Um, 27 years ago, my father died uh, in jail awaiting trial. And, it, you know, you guys were talking about bail yesterday, and he chose not to pay bail to get time served and then died in jail. So slightly different, not prison, but... Um, I recently read a study uh, early in this year, and um, my dad was one of the first people to die of meningitis in the early 90s, and there was a problem with overpopulation in prisons then. And so it's absolutely not surprising, and it's absolutely frustrating and heartbreaking to hear that this is still happy, happening, like nearly 30 years later. Yeah. So I just wanted to say my, my heart goes out to everyone uh, out there. Like, my family got destroyed by the loss of my father, hmm. and to think of how many how many other people in this state in this country how many other families are getting obliterated um by already having these estranged people in their families helpless and then getting sick and not being able to do anything about it yeah so, anna, anna thank you yeah that. thank you so much for sharing that and you make a really good point and anita shabria of course the california prisons have been under court order to reduce the population for years now, and, and many inmates have been released, but to what extent is uh, is early release happening, especially for inmates who may be, you know, medically uh, vulnerable? Well, first, I just want to say to to Anna, I'm sorry that that was her experience with it, uh, with the prison system, but she raises a really good point, which is that when, when we're talking about our prisons, we're not talking about people who have been sentenced to death, right? A lot of these are petty crimes or small things that they're in for. Uh, and now they're in a very dangerous situation that really endangers the whole community if we have to give our hospital beds over to these outbreaks. But you are absolutely right. We have reduced our prison population by more than 22,000. Uh, it's down to some of its lowest levels in decades. But many of our prisons are still at capacity and certainly not at a level that allows social distancing. So even though we've seen that reduction, it hasn't been enough to really address the problem. And the medical releases in particular, we said we were going to look at folks who were not deemed dangerous but did have medical conditions. What we know is that um, there were about 8,000 of those and less than 1%, less than 80, we're hearing somewhere in the 40s, have actually been released. So those really medically vulnerable folks who perhaps don't present a danger to society are not getting released. And there's not a lot of answers around why that is. Yeah, and we should point out that the, those 22,000 inmates released, uh, that's not all as a result of the pandemic. Many of those were lifers who got out, uh, people who got out uh, because of good behavior on earlier parole due to uh, Prop 57, those kinds of things. Is there a sense, Anita, that the pace of uh, reduction has really like s slowed in, in recent months at a time when really, if anything, it needs to be sped up? Absolutely. I mean, especially on this medical side, it, it's simply not happening. 
uh, we are seeing releases of folks who were within a couple months of being released anyway. So uh, there's a little bit of credit there, maybe getting out, you know, a month or two earlier. But in terms of any kind of uh, large-scale reduction, that is really slowed. Yeah. And what are you hearing from CDCR officials? I mean, there has been a change in leadership at the top, I think, in the last uh, couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how much of that is related to this? Uh, and what change, if any, uh, what impact has it had? Well, you know, I think it's it's too soon to tell what impact that has had. There, there is a new director. She's only been in place a month or two. Um, it certainly does, in, in my opinion, have to do with this situation and the need to really get it under control. Uh, you know, I think that what you just heard from the senator is um, really common throughout uh, the legislature and and other folks in charge, that there's a great deal of frustration with what's happening in the prisons right now, because it does seem like there are more outbreaks than ever. And as the senator pointed out, more communities that can't afford to have these outbreaks because they just don't have the capacity. Yeah. And a lot of these, yeah, as you said, and he said, uh, these are a lot of many rural communities, Lassen County, Del Norte County, places where there is only one facility. And if those get overcrowded, uh, it's really unclear what happens. Of course, the governor yesterday just talking about potentially having to take drastic measures uh, throughout the state for various reasons. But this is obviously contributing to that problem. Uh, and it seems like in a way that could certainly be dealt with uh, just from uh, testing of guards and people coming and going on a daily basis. Um, it does make you wonder why that hasn't been enforced more strictly. Well, I think that you raise a really good question. And I think, you know, to be fair to CDCR, they absolutely have ramped up all of their um, preventative measures, including testing. But I think there's still a lot of questions and a tremendous lack of transparency around those things. So what advocates are calling for is for that testing uh, information to be available on on a dashboard, like some other information is. There's really no reason why we can't, we shouldn't be able to just, you know, go on the website and see, okay, 70% of the guards have been tested this week. It's something that I think a lot of people feel would give accountability and a little more trust in the system. Talking with LA Times reporter Anita Shabria, uh, Shabrier rather, and we're talking about the COVID nineteen surge in prisons. We'd love to hear from you. Eight six six seven three three sixty seven eighty six. Again, that's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and let's go back to the phones now. And Martha in Santa Rosa, welcome. Marcia. <laughs> Marsha, go ahead. Sorry. Hi there. Thank you. Um, I'm going to try to be succinct. Um, I should say that I am uh, an elder white woman and that I have a family member who made an unlikely marriage with an inmate who is a person of color at Salinas Valley State Prison. And for the last 10 years, I have been hearing jaw-dropping, heartbreaking tales of what the culture is like there and how inmates generally, especially those of color, which most of them are, are treated. And um, from that, the advent of COVID exacerbated the culture of looking at uh, the inmates as less than human, as not deserving of good treatment, of not caring if they're sick or well or have programs or get outside for some air. 
And I heard from the beginning that there was no social distancing. People in their um, cells, their cellmates, they were sick, not tested, not kept apart of uh, staff, guards coming to work sick or with sniffles or coughing or not being tested and lauding it um, over various inmates. By the way, my my particular uh, relative-in-law is a model human being. Um, so it's, it's like heartbreaking to know that uh, there is so much reform and so much ignorance, you know, yeah. the way people treat each other. There's all kinds of factors, uh, and this is just one prison in the system. And my relative has been an activist you know, at the state level for quite a while, trying to work on programming and education and getting, you know, people in the community aware of how really bad yeah. Mar- it can be in there. So yeah, Marcia, thank, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, we're getting short on time, but I, I, Anita uh, Shabri, I, you know, as Marcia points out, I mean, these are uh, people inside prisons are, of course, marginalized. They don't have a lot of the rights uh, to speak out that uh, many others, most others, do uh, in, 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 the, in the country. So it, it is difficult to, to get advocacy for them behind bars, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I have been hearing from so many family members, as well as inmates, the incarcerated folks themselves on this issue. There's a lot of fear right now for the families and for those behind bars. And you have to remember that as a a secondary uh, problem with this is that a lot of the prisons, in fact, all of the prisons right now are on lockdown. Many have not had visitations since the beginning of this. So you really have family separation going on. You have kids and spouses who have not been able to see their loved ones, certainly, but even oftentimes communicate with them in any kind of reliable way for, for, you know, almost a year now. Yeah, very short on time. But what are you going to be looking for in the coming weeks? How these outbreaks go. In the last 14 days, we've had more than 3,000 positive cases in our prisons, more than 1,000 active cases with guards in the last 14 days. The numbers are continuing to go up. We need to watch and see if they get it under control or if we're going to see continuing outbreaks across the state. All right. Los Angeles Times reporter Anita Chabrier, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your terrific reporting as well. Uh, We appreciate you being here this morning to talk about it. I appreciate having me on. Thanks a lot. And thanks also earlier in the hour to State Senator Mike McGuire. Sorry uh, we weren't able to keep you on longer. But uh, thanks to all of you as well for joining us. I'm Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. Tomorrow, Marisa Lagos will be here. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.